Good morning. If you are uh, just now joining us, we want to welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in His love, uh, His image. We are glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, And if you, uh, uh, during the service, if you have questions or want a conversation, there's a live chat on the side of your screen, and uh, there's a host there who is uh, willing to engage in that with you. We're in this series on soul care as self-care. Today we're going to be talking about food for the soul, and specifically we're talking about feasting and fasting, or fasting and feasting, whichever way you want to look at that. And I'm pretty sure when I say feast, where most of us go is Thanksgiving, right? That's where most of us think of the Thanksgiving feast, and we think of something like this, uh, uh, kind of a meal on Thanksgiving that got great growing, coming together. Uh, and feasting almost always carries that connotation of, you know, a time when we all get together and we all eat way too much, which is what I did yesterday. Uh, for July 4th because, you know, we had uh, hamburgers and hot dogs and baked beans and guacamole salad. And then my wife fixed banana pudding and a strawberry tort. So I am in recovery this morning from eating too much yesterday. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I guess this is the fasting part today. But uh, feasting is that, that time when we come together and we, and we gather together. And usually, you know, when we do that, it's at a certain times of the year when we come together. You think of Thanksgiving, Christmas, maybe Easter, uh, those times when we come together and have those great gatherings. And, and we think of family gatherings, uh, people coming together, uh, or church-wide gatherings, people coming together and, and having a feast and, and sharing in that. And, and if you think about that, what I want you to think about for a minute is it, it's not just about the food, is it? I mean, it's also about the gathering. It's about the families coming together. It's about seeing people you don't get to see. And when I think through all the, the Thanksgiving kind of meals I've had, you know, those are the, the primary memories I think of when I think of feast is all of our extended family coming together for Thanksgiving. And they had these great meals and, and you get to see cousins and aunts and uncles and all those people you don't see all that often. And, and it's that familial kind of gathering that comes together. And yet it really isn't just about the food. Uh, it, it's about the family connections that occur uh, and what goes on there. And, and as I think back through uh, different Thanksgivings in my life, I can remember, um, you know, one Thanksgiving uh, where, where, you know, things don't go just like you plan. Uh, one where we had uh, somebody decided that instead of a turkey, they were going to roast a duck. And there was part of the family that got all upset about that because it's Thanksgiving, you're supposed to have turkey. And, and I remember one when my mother was hospitalized and my wife was gracious enough to, to fix all the food up here and then take it down to Victoria to the hospital where she was at. And we actually had Thanksgiving feast in her hospital room with the nurses that were caring for her that year. Uh, and, and so what it kind of began to sink into me is that it's, it's not really the food that's the main thing, uh, either with feasting or with fasting. Uh, it's the relationships and the connections that are made in those times. It's it's that gathering that's important. So I want you to think about that, and uh, let's pray this morning. Father, we come on this uh, July 4th weekend and uh, ask that you speak uh, into our hearts and our minds what you would say to us today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So when you go back in scripture, uh, you know, feasting and sharing meals obviously is, is a big thing. There's a lot of events that take place in Jesus' ministry around the table. Uh, it starts early on when uh, Jesus is calling his disciples, his followers. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. 
And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why do you sit and have meal with these people, these sinners? Um, In biblical periods of time, you know, gathering at the table was, was, again, it was an important time to share a meal, but there was more to it than that. Because when you shared a meal with someone in that period of time, uh, it was very possible that you might not eat that much for the rest of the week. And so those were important events. When you were invited to share a meal with someone, it had importance. It meant that they wanted to be connected with you. It created a connection uh, between the two of you that was almost familial, that you were, you were part of the family. You were claimed to be worthy to be at the table with them. And, and today, even when we travel into Africa, we notice that when we have the, the big feast and, and they will celebrate um, and come together. And we know that we are truly honored by that and, and sometimes overwhelmingly uh, honored by that because we know what a sacrifice that may mean for them in the coming weeks uh, that they may be short on food. And so uh, we come with a tremendous sense of um, humility to be invited to be part of that. In this instant, Jesus invites to the table not those who have enough to eat, not those who have everything all together, but he invites to the table those who most need to be at the table with him. He extends that. He makes that connection with those who, who need repentance and who need to be moved from being unworthy to understanding that even as unworthy as they are, they're still welcomed in the presence of God. This extension of the family relationship goes to them. And so he's using that as a teaching moment at the table in this time. And, and what I want you to hear is that relationship, that connection is really what the feast is about. It's not so much about the food as it is about the honoring and the connection and the familial con- uh, relationship that comes about through that. And you see Jesus using that as a way to, to connect with people and teach all through his ministry. Uh, Jesus and Simon. Uh, Simon is another Pharisee that invites Jesus to come to his house to eat. And in the middle of the meal, uh, a woman comes and begins washing Jesus' feet and uh, breaks the jar of ointment and begins washing his feet. And uh, Simon becomes upset about this. And Jesus explains, you know, those, those who have been forgiven much love much. And so she loves me because she knows she's been forgiven much. But what about you, Simon? Uh, that understanding that, you know, there's, there's this connection there because she's been forgiven much. She loves much. But maybe, maybe, Simon, maybe because you don't think you need to be forgiven, maybe you're not that connected. Uh, teaching that takes place at the table. Uh, he feeds the 5,000. Uh, this great work uh, that he does to show God's provision for the people, God's overwhelming provision for the people. And, and yet again, you know, it's really easy to make that just about the food. And some of the people at that time did. Jesus, in a later moment, is going to comment when the crowds gather around them. He's going to say, you know, y'all just came out here because y'all are hoping to get a free meal. He's going to recognize that they came just for the food. But when the reality is this feast was about God's provision for God's people. He denounces the Pharisees and lawyers at dinner when he's doing a teaching uh, and uses that opportunity to to critique them and their behavior. 
And in the same way, he teaches about humility at the table. You know, when you come in, sit at the, the, the seat that's at the lower end of the table so that if your host speaks to you, he can invite you up to the seat of honor instead of taking the seat of honor and being invited out of it. So a teaching about humility that takes place at the table where he's connecting with people. Uh, the parable of the great dinner where Jesus is teaching about a meal and, and teaches them that, you know, the, the people, you know, the great dinner's thrown and, and folks have excuses why they can't come. I'm too busy with this, or I'm too busy with that, or I have to do this, or I have to do that. Until finally, the, the one throwing the feast sends servants out and says, just gather up whoever will come. Kind of a teaching that warns us that sometimes we begin to think that, that we got it. We got this, God. We're okay. We don't need your help. We're good to go. And so we don't show up for the banquet. Uh, and yet God extends the invitation to anyone who will come. Uh, the invitation goes out to all who are willing to come to the table. Jesus and Zacchaeus, the famous story where he's going through the town and he looks up and sees Zacchaeus in the trees and he says, Zacchaeus, you've got to come down here because I must go to your house for dinner today. And I love it. It's, I must go to your house. Again, salvation coming into the midst of, of a household where some of us might think unworthiness is what's happening, but Christ extending love and salvation there. The institution of the Lord's Supper, which we're familiar with when he gathers with the disciples and reinterprets the Passover meal to be what we have come to know as Holy Communion. On the Emmaus Road, when he arrives at Cleopas' home, and having walked on the road with him and explained the scriptures to them and, and everything that had happened, he sits down and it's in the breaking of the bread, sharing of the meal, that they recognize him. I guess that, that familial connection coming together, that place where we, we gather and we see each other as we are. And then he appears to the disciples in one of his resurrection appearances and purposely eats with them so that they will understand that this is not just an apparition, it's not just something they're seeing, but that he's really there, that he really is sharing in this meal with them so that they can know he really is with them. And all these events, are, they're times that people come together in connection uh, and, and in relationship. And that's what feasts are about. They're about coming together and being in relationship with one another. They're there to celebrate that God is with us. They're there to celebrate what God has done for us. Uh, there are times to come in that spirit of celebration and gratitude, but also that spirit of love. Now, in the tradition of the church, especially in the Middle Ages, feast days were, were actually formal days of the church, and they, they still are technically. Uh, uh, Christmas is a feast day. Easter is a feast day. Uh, there's others. Ascension is a feast day. Uh, Pentecost is a feast day. There's other feast days on the calendar. We in the Protestant tradition don't recognize them that much, don't spend much time with them. But in the broader tradition of the church, uh, they're, they're very real. And, and at one time, they were very important because it was only really on the feast days that the people who worked the land, you know, the ordinary folks of the day, it was only on the feast days that they actually got a day off that they didn't have to do all the things that they normally would do because they were gathering for these feasts. And so they looked forward to all of these feast days. They were great times to come together and celebrate, to get a break from their normal kind of labor uh, and, and to share in these great meals with one another and to be with their friends and to be with their family. And they were important. And so these holy days that were on the church calendar uh, in slang became the word holidays. And originally, that's what a holiday was. It, was. it was a feast day of the church, a time to come together. We've kind of lost this understanding of, of holidays out of our vocabulary. But they were these important moments when people took time away from their normal labors to gather and be in connection with family and friends and with God and, and to give thanks to God. 
These are important parts of, of Jesus' ministry, and, and they run all through that. And, and in America, I think we, we get that pretty well, that feast days are important. And in the church, we've known for a long time that feast days are important. And when we want to plan a big event, we want lots of people to come, uh, we know that we need to plan to have some kind of meal or something with that, like that. Uh, because if you have food, more people will show up than if you don't have food. So we understand that. That's kind of a given in our culture. And in fact, in our culture, sometimes our feasting gets a little carried away, uh, which may be the reason that obesity is such a, an epidemic in our country. Uh, we know how to feast. We don't necessarily know how to fast so well. And I find when I talk to people about feasting, everybody connects with feasting. Everybody understands that. When you talk about fasting, though, people look at you like, oh, that's kind of weird stuff. You know, that's kind of cult stuff. Well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that or not. And yet fasting is also very much a part of the Scripture story. It's very much built into the narrative. Uh, it starts early in Jesus' ministry. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Now, I think famished is, is a pretty light term there. I think after 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. Uh, we used to do something called the 30-hour famine uh, that World Vision used to sponsor. And, and, and you start and, and go for 30 hours. And then at the end of 30 hours of being on just a water fast, that's all you were allowed during that time, uh, you would bake bread for the closing communion service. Now, after 30 hours of having nothing to eat, the smell of fresh bread baking in the oven would have all of us kind of drooling. Just, I mean, without, I'm serious drooling on ourselves because it smelled so good and when that bread came out you could tell that everybody really just wanted to grab that loaf and run away with it uh, that's just 30 hours so 40 days and 40 nights is a, a whole different kind of thing and yet in scripture we see this over and over i mean paul fasts for 40 days and 40 nights the prophets fast for 40 days and 40 nights it's a time of denying our physical sustenance the food that we would normally take in so that we are pushed to rely on our spiritual sustenance. It's a time to deny that physical kind of, of you know, satisfaction to ourselves so that we focus ourselves even more on being connected with the spiritual sustaining of God with us. And so it's a way to focus ourselves, uh, to very much focus ourselves on our relationship with God and, and what is good there, but maybe also what is lacking there. As you read through Scripture, you understand that fasting was part of the culture. Jesus teaches, whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show as, so as to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, don't fast so you can show other people how holy you are. That's not the point of it. The point of fasting is to strengthen your connection with God. John Wesley would write and say that it's possible either to fast or pray in such a way, in such a manner as to make you much worse than before, more unhappy and more unholy. Yet the fault does not lie in the means itself, but in the manner of using it. Use it still, but use it in a different manner. Again, understand that fasting isn't simply about the food or the lack of food, but it's about that connection with God that you're, that you're wanting to strengthen and you're wanting to build. 
in Matthew, there's this teaching where the disciples of John come to Jesus and they say, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom's with them, can they? The days will, days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. It's understanding that, you know, when Jesus is present, that's a time for feasting. But sometimes when we are longing to be in deeper connection with God, that's the time for fasting. It's about the relationship more than it is about the food. In one story in the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples have had trouble casting out an evil spirit. They come to Jesus and they say, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Now, if you haven't picked up on it yet, there's always a connection between prayer and fasting, whether it's the time of temptation in the wilderness, uh, whether it's the time when we're longing to be closer to Christ or closer to God. Uh, that, that longing, that's part of that prayer life that fasting focuses us in on. Fasting and prayer are always connected together, and you see it in their life of the early church. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And after they had appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord and whom they had come to believe. That connection between prayer and fasting runs all through Scripture. That, that fasting focuses you more on God and focuses you more on prayer, which is your communication language with God. In very many ways, fasting is not about the food. Fasting is about having a hunger for God, to be deeper in relationship with God. When we feast, we feast because God is with us, because of what God has done for us, because of God's love poured out on us. When we fast, we are seeking to have even more of God, to go deeper in our relationship with God. It's not about food. It's about the relationship. The prophet Isaiah would teach uh, and share these words from God. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Now, in this passage, God is going to say, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not just about fasting from food. You may need to fast from something else. You, you might need to fast from whatever it is you're addicted to. You, you might need to fast from your favorite pastime. You might need to fast from being, treating people unjustly or fast from your pride or fast from your arrogance. Fasting can be withdrawing from other things other than just food, although food is often what we think about and often what is used. But fasting can be about more than that. It's, it's withdrawing from whatever it is that stands between you and God. Because fasting really is it's about that hunger for God and growing deeper in God. Now, if you've never thought about getting into fasting, one of the simple ways to do that is to have somebody who kind of guides you in that. And a couple of years ago, J.D. Walt, uh, who does the Daily Text, uh, invited uh, some of his readers to come along with him on a journey. He said, you know, I've been playing with fasting for years. 
I've decided it's time to get serious about it, so I want to invite you into this with me. And he did what's called the Daily Text Fasting Challenge. And if you want to uh, uh, see more about it, you can go to seedbed.com fasting, which takes you to this page. And down at the bottom, you can see where it says get started here. If you click on that, you go to a page where you put your information in and get instructions. Uh, And then one day a week, uh, you're invited to be in a fast with this group. J.D. will take a passage of Scripture, a long passage of Scripture, and break that into pieces, and we will fast one day a week over 40 weeks, uh, dealing with different pieces of that Scripture each day. So it's 40 days of fasting, but not all in a block, thank goodness. Uh, and so uh, it, it's just one day a week. And, and what will happen is, if you choose by email or by text to get this, is that in the morning you'll get a, a script from J.D. for the day, It'll start your day off with an opening prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I offer you this fast for your glory and my good. All I am and all I have I offer to you for your purposes in the world and my progress in your grace. And then he'll give some guidance for the day. Uh, The longer passage of scripture will be there. Uh, There'll be one piece of it that will be lifted up as the the piece for that day. Uh, He'll also give instructions about how to do a fast uh, and when to start it, when to eat, end it, and suggestions. And, and in that, there's a reminder to be gracious with yourself uh, because of different kinds of medical conditions and so forth. Not everyone can fast uh, by, by going a whole day without food. And for some of us, that's just not a healthy thing. And so his advice is, you know, do, do what works for you. Be healthy in whatever way it works for you. Uh, so your fast may be more limited in terms of food, and, and you may choose to fast from something else. Uh, I've learned on this day when I'm trying to do this uh, that one of the things I have to fast from is the news feed on my phone uh, because it is very distracting to me. It pulls my mind and my heart in all kinds of different directions. And so it's best for me just to not look at that on that day. Uh, but you'll have to choose what it is you need to fast from and how you need to fast on that day. All of that he'll cover in that section on the guidance. Uh, and then he'll have the key verse for the day. And this past Wednesday, the key verse was, uh, the whole passage is the John 15 uh, teaching of the, the brine, uh, vine and the branches. So the key verse was, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Uh, he then teaches on that a little bit, but he also gives us some other pieces to work with during the day. At lunch, uh, he invites us in the time when we would normally have lunch to meditate on some passages of Scripture. Uh, this week it was, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Which you can hear echoing that pruning theme from the John passage. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May the whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Again, there's some of that pruning kind of theme. And as you meditate on this, you're invited to write down anything that you feel God is speaking to you in that time. Throughout the day, you're given a breath prayer. That uh, as you're walking around and doing things, you're supposed to be uh, breathing in and out uh, this prayer. Prune me, Heavenly Father, so that I will be even more fruitful. And I have to confess to you that this was kind of a challenging breath prayer for me because my experience with being pruned by God in my life is that most of the time that's been a pretty uncomfortable process, uh, if not downright painful uh, and, and challenging and difficult. And so to walk around all day and say, 
okay, God, I'm up for this. Prune me uh, so that I can be more fruitful. Uh, kind of felt like playing with fire uh, all day long. Uh, and yet it is part of the scripture and it is part of Jesus' teaching to us. Uh, so I engaged it as well as possible. Um, when you come to the, uh, the end of the day, you close the day with that same prayer you opened the day with. Uh, and at the bottom of the page, there's a little uh, notation there that will say, to the extent health will not permit fasting from food, choose some kind of alternative. Uh, so a recognition that, you know, it's, it's not really about the food. It's about fasting from whatever it is that keeps you from being fully focused upon God. So if, if you've never tried that, I would just encourage you uh, to enter into that and, and to try and see, you know, how that feels and, and what happens with it. And, and I'll remind you when we talk about feasting and fasting that it's, it's not so much about the food as it is about the relationship. When we feast uh, to gather and be connected with one another and to be connected with God and to give thanks uh, for what God has done for us, and we fast as a longing to grow deeper with God and to be more connected with God. Remember that passage, you know, uh, John's disciples and the Pharisees are feasting. This is it, the same passage in Mark's gospel. And people came and said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And he answered, the wedding guests cannot fast, fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. David Thomas, uh, in a uh, comp, uh, little uh, blog he wrote on fasting, said, For Jesus, fasting was not about faithfulness to practice. Fasting was a means to intimate fellowship. Uh, it, it, it's a way of seeking to be deeper in relationship with God. So feasting is something we're pretty familiar with. If you've not fasted before, I would encourage you to try fasting in prayer and, and see if you don't find that to be a powerful way of God speaking into your life and opening things up to you. Um, and, and this day, I'm, I've just been thinking, you know, that, you know, for July 4th, you know, we, we come together and we feast, you know, we celebrate. It's a national holiday. Uh, and yet, you know, in some ways, you know, there's connections into our faith with that for many of us. Uh, in my family, I'm the uh, part of a family with many members who have served in the different branches of the military over the years. So there's always kind of a sense on this day of being aware of those people uh, of not only the gifts that our nation has and and the things that we have to appreciate but of the people whose sacrifices have made that possible for us and so we have that that sense and and um, in the recent years as i've traveled more around the world in different places uh, not only have i had that sense out of my own history but from traveling to different places i've learned that every every time i come back home uh, there's a profound sense of gratitude for being back here uh, and back in this nation and for the rights and the privileges it affords us. Uh, so there's a sense of, of profoundness to that, that feasting, that this is something that God has provided for us and provided for me and, and a time to be thankful for it. But remember, feasting and fasting are not necessarily opposed to each other. They're just different movements and different times in the relationship. And there's a time for fasting as well. As we've gone through this uh, spring, uh, you know, with this pandemic, uh, you, you've probably been very well aware of, of our separation from one another uh, in this time. You know, we love to come together. We love to gather at the table. We love to come together and be in each other's presence. I've had many, many, many people who've talked to me and talked about 
how much they miss seeing everybody and worshiping with everybody. We keenly feel that, and we're aware of the struggle that is for many people who actually are, are facing that illness in their families or have had deaths in their families. Uh, it, it's a crazy time we're living in with this pandemic in the midst of us, all separated and, and dealing with our isolation and our aloneness. And at the same time, on top of that, we've had this layer added uh, of the racial uh, tension and turmoil in the country where we've been seeing uh, the result of racial injustice in the midst of our culture and, and struggling to figure out what to do and how to deal with that in ways that are authentic and real and powerful. And for me, at least, one of the disturbing things is coming up on an election to realize that some of our leaders have chosen to use these as ways to gain political advantage instead of dealing with them as a way that's authentic and benefits the whole nation. And so for me, it's okay to be in a time of fasting for our country as well. Uh, because, you know, as much as God has blessed us in this country, it's not perfect. And there are still things that we need God to be at work in to perfect among us. And so they, these are complementary movements, feasting and fasting. There's a time to give thanks and there's a time to celebrate and there's a time to long for God to be even more present with us and even more involved in our lives and the lives of those around us. They don't contradict each other. They complement each other. So if you've never tried fasting, I'm pretty sure you've feasted, but if you've never tried fasting, I want to invite you to lean into that this week and, and just see if you don't find that that opens a door for a deeper connection with God in your life and the life of those around you.